Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 164. It's a special episode in honor of the 4th of July. It is with the one and only President Abraham Lincoln. I sat down with President Lincoln and we chatted about all sorts of things from his life and uh, his experiences. We talked about the Civil War and the Battle of Gettysburg, which the anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg was July 3rd. You'll be listening to this on the 4th of July, Independence Day, and the year of 1863, a very bloody battle happened during the Civil War, and one of Lincoln's most famous speeches came from that event uh, about four or five months later when he delivered the Gettysburg Address. Lincoln is a fascinating human being. Um, I have long admired him and found him interesting in not just what he accomplished, but what he was unable to accomplish because of his assassination. Um, but also, I, I found myself wondering about his childhood and, and his youth and his, uh, the beginnings of his political career. I did a, a lot of research on Lincoln. Uh, there's still so much more to be done. The links page for, on heyhumanpodcast.com for this particular episode uh, is going to be great because it's going to have a lot of reference material, books, articles, and that kind of thing. Now, we all know that President Lincoln was assassinated that fateful day in April, but the other day, I had a strong urge, and I followed that urge, and I found Mr. Robert Broski. Now, he's an extraordinary person in his own right, an actor, and, uh, well, many things, and we'll talk about that at the end of the episode, um, but he is a spot-on Lincoln representative. Let's call, I wouldn't want to call him an impersonator. He's a representative. Um, extraordinary in his ability to embody the president. Honestly, when I was having this conversation with President Lincoln, I felt like I was having a conversation with President Lincoln. I don't, I don't know if it was the beard or the top hat or what, but it was, for me, an extraordinary experience. Um, yeah, I'm really excited about this episode. I learned so much. For example, in the Battle of Gettysburg, which again, as I said, was a brutal battle. So many, the most casualties of the Civil War happened in this battle between the people that died in the actual battle and then the casualties that later succumbed to their in injuries. I, I was so taken by this conversation, I, I can't really explain it exactly. Other than I hope that it inspires you to go read about President Lincoln, learn more about him, the man that he was, the person that he was, um, not just the president, but the, you know, the human being behind the president. Uh, I think, I think he won't be disappointed. Um, again, the links page on heyhumanpodcast.com is going to have a ton of information and uh, I hope you check it out. Robert's got some upcoming projects. Uh, there is Trip to the Moon film that he's in, The Whip film that he's in, 
uh, A Night at the Theater, which is in post-production. It's a short uh, Count Vlad of Fagras. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, that's also in pre-production. He's doing a lot of stuff. His IMDb is impressive. He's also going to be in a bunch of reenactments, Civil War reenactments here in California. Duncan's Mills, uh, the 20th and 21st. He'll be in Huntington. I think that's a free reenactment experience. That's August 31st. And he'll be in Fresno at uh, Kearney Park, October 19th and 20th. Again, those are Civil War reenactments. So if that's your thing, definitely check it out. Even if it's not your thing, and it might be something you'd be interested in, check it out. Usual stuff, social media, Hey Human podcast on the social medias. Um, Facebook and Instagram, and Twitter, uh, Susan Ruthism, uh, along with my own personal Facebook and Instagram, also on Susan Ruthism. If you want to check out some of the other stuff I do, please go to SusanRuth.com. You can email me, Susan, at HeyHumanPodcast.com. I've got music on iTunes under Susan Ruth. There's a donate button on the Hey Human podcast website. This is an ad-free website. So any support is greatly appreciated. And uh, to do that, you can donate with the donate button or you can use the Amazon portal on the front of the Hey Human podcast website. And if you shop Amazon, do it through that portal and it helps support Hey Human. Take a moment to rate and review Hey Human on iTunes. It's very helpful, and I much appreciate it. It only takes a couple minutes of your time, and it really makes a difference. So please do that. Um, I think that's about it as far as all the usual stuff. Um, If I forgot something, I'll remember it next week. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Here we go. President Lincoln, welcome to Hey Human. Yes, well, thank you very much. I'm uh, honored to be here. It's extraordinary that you are here. I'm a big fan. Well, I have to be somewhere, so I'm glad I am here. I feel like at this point you're everywhere, maybe. Well, I'm in everybody's pocket. I'm on the penny, and I'm in everybody's wallet. And on everybody's mind, I think. uh, It's kind of a quiet specter. That would be nice. That would be nice if I was, yes. Yeah. You you are considered one of the top three all-time presidents, depending on who's being asked, I suppose. North or South. Right, maybe. Yes. Uh, that is interesting, isn't it? Yes. I, I believe definitely George Washington, because he was our first president. Sure. But he is really more known for being a general than president, because he was, sadly, he was the one who had to figure it all out. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, then our nation kind of had a bunch of uh, problems that they were going through. Growing pains. So, yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And so then I happened to be right there at that moment. And yeah. uh, yes. And I, you were I 16th. In line. Yes, yeah. ma'am, I was. Yes, yeah. yes, I'm not a founding father. No, yeah, they kind of lump, which I don't mind. I'm honored to be lumped in with the founding fathers, but because as you probably know, I came four ah. score and seven, seven. years later. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's a good dad joke. Yes, thank you. I got a million of them. Not really. Um, let's start at your humble beginnings, as it were. You were yes. uh, born in Kentucky, which I don't know that a lot of people really know that. I think they just hear Abraham Lincoln and immediately go to Illinois. They do, very much so. And when I bring up where I was born, Kentucky, then I go, oh yeah, I remember. But what I also bring up is that Think about it. Kentucky was a slave state. It was a southern state. Mm. So many times I say, well, I, I, I know what the South is thinking because I was born and 
kind of raised for a few first years in Kentucky in a slave state. So I, I kind of have an idea of what they were going through at the time. So I think that helped me out a lot. Did you, Your dad was a farmer? Is that right? Farmer and a carpenter. Did he have slaves or no? Oh, no, no, Because he was no. very poor. You, you grew up very poor. Yes and no. Oh. The, you, it goes, there's so many aspects to it all. We were not necessarily poor, but we didn't have much. Uh, he was a, a well provider for the family, my mm -hmm. father Thomas, uh, being a, a hardworking farmer and also a carpenter. Now, we didn't have wealth, no, but we definitely got by. And out in the frontier, there really wasn't much use for money. Mm -hmm. So, per se, we didn't have a lot of money or in the bank or whatever. My father owned hundreds of acres, Which you know, at different times. a big deal. Yeah, so definitely it was, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, you could, um, grew up uh, out in the country, so country ways, country ignorance, you know, not real illiterate, but as far as necessarily poor no, I wasn't necessarily walking around in rags, right. eating, you know, dog food. Which you were didn't cared have for. Food. You were cared for. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So but your dad wasn't really big on, he didn't, wasn't like, oh, education is super important. Not that was, at all. He was actually the opposite, kind of made fun of those types. Well, of, he, no, think about it. Uh, out on the frontier, we, he was, the family came over in the 1600s, the Lincoln family from uh, Hingham, England, and they came over here, and they traveled up and down the East Coast, and eventually my father ended up in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Well, they, they had, the, most of them, the, a lot of them were entrepreneurs, they were businessmen, but they had a wanderlust in them. So you can see why Thomas wanted to go out and find new territory, new, new lands or whatever. So that's why we threw everything, though we, I wasn't around yet, threw everything on a couple of horses and headed out to Kentucky, the frontier. Mm -hmm. Well, out in the frontier, if you survived the winter and didn't die from starvation or cold, you were doing pretty darn good. So to him, you can't really eat a book. Mm -hmm. Maybe if you had enough seasoning. But so to him, education out on the frontier didn't make sense, wasting your time doing that when you should be farming and, and planting and weeding and harvesting and canning and all that. So to him, in that respect, education would, took a back seat to survival. So where do you think you got the bug for learning? Oh, well, like I say, as my father taught me to work hard, but he didn't teach me to love it. My <laughs> mother was more into educating myself and my older sister, Sarah. So she, even though she was rather illiterate herself also, they both, my father could write his name and he could maybe read a little bit. That was about it. Mm -hmm. Nothing more than that. And the same, pretty much the same with my mother. And then sadly, my, my, my mother passed away yeah. and my father remarried my stepmother who lived back east in a bigger city. When she came out, she brought books out with her. She brought uh, three children with her. And when she came out and saw how my older sister and I were offending ourselves when my father was away, she, she goes, no, enough is enough. We're not having a dirt floor in this cabin. We're putting wood in. We're having furniture. We're, you know, so she pretty much. She gave it the woman's touch, as it were. Yes. Yeah. And she was yes. a big fan of, of you, from what I understand. We got along really well. I mean, she was eventually, of course, she was my mother. Yeah. You know, for most of my upbringing. So, yeah. yes. So, Which, yeah, no. I mean, it could have gone, right, if you had, when your mother passed away, I'm sorry about that, when when that happened. Yes. And then that, how traumatic that was for you. She died Definitely. of something called milk sickness, which for those listening who don't know what that is, it's when the cows eat a particular plant that is poisonous. And then the... Snakeweed. Yeah, and the humans drink the milk and then they get sick and die. And it's what's interesting, you think about death it, too. Ugh. 
why didn't I get sick? Why didn't my older sister get sick? Oh, and why didn't my father get sick? The reason was is my aunt and uncle had gotten sick from milk disease, which though there again, like you said, we didn't know what it was. She went over to their farm to help tend to them. Um. While she was there, she partaked in everything that they did, the food and the drink and everything. So she had gotten sick from there. So yeah. that's why when then when she came back, she only lived a couple of weeks later and she passed away. So that's why we were spared of that. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until later on, years later, that they realized what it was all about. Yeah. Well, I'm so. glad you took to your stepmother and she to you because I think for a kid, for any kid to lose a, a mom or a parent in general, especially if the other parent isn't really present with the love right. and affection. Your dad was more of the get work done, do the thing, you know. My father and I didn't have a good relationship. Mm. Uh, when I talk about him, I apologize because, like I said, he taught me how to work hard but not how to love it. So to him, it was boom, 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 boom. He did show me to help people. That's why pretty much I've always helped people because he was the first one there when a barn burned down and to raise a barn again or if a mm -hmm. church needed to be built. He was one of the first ones there to help out. So he taught me to, to always help people and I always had that in me. Um, but being the first, well, I really wasn't the first child, but I was the first boy and, and always, I was the one who wanted to educate myself. I wanted to improve myself. So there would be times that I'd be out in the field and I'd run the ox to the end of the, end of the field and let rest him a little bit. I'd sit under a tree, open a book up and start reading it. Well, the neighbors would see this and I'd go, hey, look at that Abraham. Look how lazy he is. So it got back to my father and he'd say, enough of that. So when my father, when he had gotten older and I had gotten older, he had gotten sick. I didn't go visit him. Mm. When he passed away, I didn't go to the funeral. Mm. And when he was buried, I never put a gravestone on his grave. I apologize for that now. But that kind of shows that the relationship him and I had. I definitely respected him. But And then uh, I helped him build his last cabin outside of Decatur. And then I headed out on my own. So I waited around for another uh, half a year to a year out of respect for my father and then I said enough is enough I'm gone I want to find my own way in life yeah and you your siblings you had, they passed your sister died correct yes I had a younger brother who only lived a few days mm. his name was Thomas after mm. my father and he passed away just because out in the wilderness and uh, my sister Sarah she had gotten married and she died during childbirth her and the, and the I think it was a boy he passed away too and that was because of her out in the wilderness, you know, we had a midwife, uh, which was a relative. But uh, when she started having complications, the, her husband did not call for a doctor. Mm. And that was miles away. So I always resented him for that, that he waited too long to call for a doctor and she had passed away. And since you were so young when your mother died and Sarah kind of took over the motherly yes. roles. So that was almost, I'm sure. That didn't like work. That's why my father left us with my cousin. Mm. left us in the house for about a year where he went back east to find one of his old bows and see if she would marry him. She or her husband had passed away mm. and she was with three kids. And so he went back east. He paid off all her debts, brought her out to the wilderness. Think about that. She had, I mean, she took on a lot of, uh, lot you know, stuff. yes, a lot of everything yeah. to come out to the wilderness, to live out in the middle of nowhere yeah. with her three children. Yeah. Yeah. But fostering your education along and, the way. Yes. So, I mean, it's it's weird when you look at the, the arc of your life, the all these strange happenstances that really kept building. 
on uh, my character. Yeah. On my on my upbringing. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, the good and the bad. And you your know. dad, because he was uh, such a a pillar of the community as far as like helping when things right. he would sort of he would rent you out, right? You would go and work, and then he would take the money from you. Did that? Well, right. In a, in a way, that was kind of common. That was as very I got common. older, sure, I mean, sure. I had an axe put in my hand when I was like uh, nine years old. Yeah. And I still have all my probably, fingers and toes. I feel like but, you would resent that, though. It, it come to resent. Well, you. That. I mean. A father and a son on, you know, a couple hundred acres. That's a lot of work. Mm. But, uh, yes, but it wasn't uncommon to do that because mm-hmm. you just had to survive out in the wilderness. And if a farmer down the road needed a little bit of help during harvest time or split some rails for a fence, then he would hire me out. And to help pay to keep the family going, then I would definitely give it back to my father. Yeah. But I think that was kind of Well, I think it still happens today. I think kids, I think kids today still, uh, when they see that the family is struggling they will work and then give money to the family yes yeah so certain, that's something that certain nationalities do it better than others sure of course <laughs> yeah and if you're still home or even still in the same neighborhood nowadays everybody's could be anywhere in the world yeah that's true so yeah so it, no definitely so no he did he did farm me out at the beginning like I, that yeah. i think about how you said you know you learned about a sense of of i think there's an honor to it a sense of community like if so-and-so's barn burned down you'd be there to help build right. it back up when the civil war ended and i'm jumping ahead a lot we'll go backwards again but i i think about how the way you dealt with that you weren't running around imprisoning no the confederate no. in fact you were you said let's let's to rebuild let them let, down easy yes which that's a remarkable i found that to be remarkable it was. Uh, my and, cabinet didn't like it too mm, much. Mm, uh, many in the North wanted to crucify the South, throw them all in jail. How do you heal a country, a nation, by taking their leaders and throwing them in jail? There'll be resentments forever, definitely. Uh, two years into the war, we didn't even know if we were going to win it or not. We started coming up with ideas for reconstruction already, two years into it. And like I said, I didn't even know if I was going to be reelected. We didn't know which way the war was going. We were losing many battles right off the bat. And we already were starting thinking about talking, writing things down about how are we going to bring this union back together again, this mm-hmm. country back together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was in the back of my head the whole time. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, having so much loss around you, too. Even your own children pass- right. passing away. Yeah. And then seeing the devastation of the Civil War. Uh, that had to have been... There's always the joke that presidents age yes. exponentially while in office. Um, and I think people remarked upon the fact that you certainly had that burden Did. as yes. well. When I was younger, a, a newspaper reporter asked some questions about myself. And uh, not really wanting to answer them. While I did, I wrote things down. And one of them was that I'm 185 pounds, six foot four, nearly. I had to be honest. I wanted to be six foot four, but I wasn't. I was six foot three and three fourths. <laughs> but I didn't want to say six foot three. So six foot four, nearly. And at the end, sadly, I was down to about 165 pounds and I had lost a couple inches in stature. I dealt with this civil war four years, two months, seven days a week. I didn't go out and play golf like other presidents do uh i dealt with it every day and you and actually it, went to 
you you went to the field. I mean, to you the battlefields. Talked, there you were talked many to the soldiers. Yes, you, you there know. were many forts around Washington because it had to protect Washington. We were bordered three sides by Maryland, which was a southern state. Luckily, it stayed with the Union. It was a border state. But if that would if Maryland would have gone south, the war would have been over, and you would need a passport to go below the Mason Dixon line. Think about that. So there was many forts around, and I would visit the soldiers definitely, and I would visit with the the citizens of this country too, because I felt I am the people's president. Mm -hmm. And for a few hours, at least at the beginning, for a few hours in the morning, a few hours in the evening, I would entertain anybody who would come by, wait in line. And if they had a question, a concern, they wanted to know who they voted in as president because they never saw me. Or let's say their cow died, they needed a cow or they needed a, you know, a barn built. Well, that would send them to whatever department would help them out. But I would cry with the mother who came in saying her son was killed in action and didn't have anybody to help her. Or he was in prison up north in, a, in one of our prisons because he was captured. I would write a reprieve for him that he would be sent home with his mother. But I would cry with the mother. I, I wore my feelings or I wear my feelings on my sleeve. Yeah, I feel like that's why uh, throughout your tenure, you were very jokey and you told a lot of stories. I think that was a way, like that was your empathy coming through or maybe a defense, you know, the, to feel so much pain for the world. And you were really funny, and you would keep people entertained with the. You, you had these long stories that you would Correct. tell, and yes. Yes. which I think that's a, that shows a, a lot of empathy. That maybe the people listening in the moment were like, "Oh God, it's another Abraham Lincoln story." Yes, you that's know. what my cabinet hated it when I did that. But I told them many times that if I weren't to laugh, I would probably cry. Yeah. So it kept helped keep me sane. Did Definitely. you? Do you think? Uh, in retrospect, do you think that you had issues with depression your whole life, or do you think that was a, a case of coming with the job, or because of all the suffering that you had seen along the way? I, it was. I think it was a gradual, because of all the suffering. But th this was normal. If you hate to say it was normal, but it was common in that time that death hit every door. It did, no matter if you're in the disease or, uh, or just an injury, if you're on the frontier or if you're in the city. Death was everywhere. That was kind of common, but still it affected different people differently. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that's what started it. The, the resentments of my brother-in-law with my sister, my mother passing away, um, our children, like you said, we had two children die while I was still alive. And then just imagine the trauma of my wife, Mary. Yeah. Because she had uh, many issues when she was younger. Plus she had two children, uh, three children eventually pass away in her presence and her husband get shot yeah. right next to her. How, what would that do to you? Yeah. So there, there was a lot of that. And then, uh, like I said, I, I just wore my feelings on my sleeve. And I think that's what made me also a better president was because I could feel the emotions of the people. I wasn't detached from what was going on in this country of ours. And and I think that helped me make decisions. What I really find remarkable about you as well is that you you belong to, a, you were a Whig and then you a Republican. Correct. Uh, and the Republican Party really was started in your time. And, Correct. And, About 10 years before, yes. Yeah. And the fact from what I could ascertain is that no matter who was before you, 
your constituents were your constituents. It didn't matter what side of the aisle they fell on. You seemed, you, your sense of balance and fairness and justice uh, superseded, in some cases, I feel, yeah, I think even your your political <laughs> yes. um, motivations. My cabinet. Oh, yeah, okay. because, well, yeah, your cabinet yeah. would get pissed at you. And like, you know, if you're Three like, of them what are you were doing? the ones that were running against me is from for president. And I put them on my cabinet because they, strangely enough to say it now, they were the right person for the right job. You know, but not you politics didn't want a psych- wise. You know, the, the person yeah. that's uh, what, a sycophant. To, do you want people that would challenge yes you? Men. Yeah. And... I also always believed that I, my desire was always for the right of the country. Mm. But it was based on our Constitution. It was based on our Declaration of Independence. Not my ideas, not my opinions. And I would always listen to my cabinet or Congress and the Senate and all that. I would listen to what they had to say, but I was the one who came up with the decision. And if everybody was slanted to what I said, yes, men, how do you get a balance? So I had my rivals. But many of my rivals eventually came over to understand me. They may not still have liked everything I did, but they understood me. They respected me for what I, my desires, my ideas. They still didn't agree with all of them, mm. but that's fine. But they respected who where my aim was. Mm-hmm. So they knew that it wasn't someone that they'd have to think about, oh, is he doing it for his own gain or his own good, or is he doing it for the country? Yeah. So, and that had a lot, to, I think that helped a lot. Do you... So, in the law protected slavery in in many of the states, and so and you had said at some point, you know, the states that already had slavery, I can't. The law says I can't really mess with that. Do you remember the first time where slavery really hit, hit you? home? Yeah. Yes, um, we born in Kentucky, raised uh, a father and a son. How does he compete with a Big plantation with free labor. Mm-hmm. It's pretty hard to compete. So my father, for me, as far as everything I remember, being a strong Baptist, he did not like slavery at all. And so we moved to Indiana, which was a free state. I was only about three three or four years old, I believe. Because I know we had to move a couple times because my father bought land in Kentucky. Because he was illiterate, he bought land that didn't belong to him. So when I was three years old, we had to move the first time because the landowner came and said, Hey, what are you doing on my land? So we had to move. So we did it a couple of times because of that. He didn't know. So we moved to Indiana, which was also, like I said, a free state. And I was pretty much raised in Indiana. Well, along one of our farms, there was the Cumberland Trail, which everything traveled up and down the Cumberland Trail. And many times slaves traveled up there. And I saw firsthand that people were shackled together. People? What the heck is this all about? And then when I became a teenager, I helped a uh, local uh, mercantile grocerier take his products down to New Orleans, New Orleans, down to New Orleans to the market. So we build a flat boat, like 16 feet wide by 70 feet long. And we traveled down the Mississippi or down, ooh, the Ohio, I can't remember, don't quote me on this. Uh, I remember I had a head injury and things sometimes were a little <laughs> fuzzy. And so, and so I saw firsthand in New Orleans because that was the biggest, the biggest Southern market for slavery. And I saw firsthand what slavery was like at the slave market and everything else. So besides my father putting into my head that slavery, one man owning another man was wrong, I saw it firsthand. So yes, I had always disliked slavery. But being a strong constitutionalist in our Declaration of Independence, the president has not the power to free anybody. 
Congress passes the laws in this country of ours. So no matter what my personal opinion was, it was based on our Constitution, our Declaration of Independence, and if a state wanted slavery, the federal government had no, no power to change that. The state had to change that unless we passed an amendment. So eventually we got to that. Mm -hmm. But at the time, no. I even stated many times that during my campaign that after the war had started, I, my, as President of the United States, it was my duty to bring the Union back together. One of my duties was to uphold all the laws equally to all the states. How could I do that if some of the states seceded? My ob object was to bring the Union back together. And if I could do that by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. If I could do that by freeing half of the slaves, I would do it. If I could do it by freeing none of the slaves, I would do it. Because your goal is to get the states The Union to back together. Yeah. And many saw that as that I, I was pro-slavery. Well, no, I was not pro-slavery, but it was not in my power to do anything about it. And mm -hmm. the South, along with the North, and pretty much the whole world at the time, you know, the world, you know, the big countries, that slavery was going to eventually disappear because it wasn't going to be economical anymore. Follow the money. That's where pretty much it was an economic situation in the South. That's why it had to do with money. And I know some of your naysayers were saying, oh, he just wants to free the slaves because he wants more soldiers to fight. But in fact, when you were in the legislation part of your career, mm -hmm. the legislature, you introduced a bill. It got, pardon the the, the phrasing, shot down. Right. But, ah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Carry on. <laughs> but uh, you had a history of being against slavery. So, yes. But, you know, the, the history books sometimes leave things out and people have their own opinions and such. So Very much so. And you yeah. can read two books and it'll have two different opinions on the same mm. facts, mm -hmm. you could say. Yes. Uh, well, there again. When we came over from Europe, originally from England, we came here and we wanted to get away from a monarchy, a royal family, a dictator telling us what to do. So we gave, on purpose, we gave most of the power to the individual states and whatever was left over we gave to the federal government because that's we did that on purpose. So that's why the states, now it's got topsy-turvy, but uh, that's why we gave uh, that's why I said I, I could not do anything about slavery because it was uh, an issue individually with the states. But our country was changing. The world was changing during my time. We were being more globally, if you want to say it in modern terms, we were more global. Mm -hmm. And so our economy was changing. We had to have more federal regulations like a federal currency. We didn't. Every state had their own money. And even banks had their own currency, railroads had their own currency. Anybody with a lot of money could have their own script or their own money that they... So we needed a federal currency, we needed a federal transportation system, which we didn't have, independent railroads. For me, going from Springfield to Washington, I had to go through like seven or eight small private railroads just to get my rear end to Washington. So that all pretty much had to change in order for us to be able to survive in the world economy hmm. or for efficiently to have the products go from the farm or from the the uh, can't even talk to uh, whoever owned the cows mm -hmm. what would you call that the pastorals uh, uh, so whoever <laughs> a ranch the ranch yeah. a ranch to get to market or to get to across the great pond or something so we had to have federal regulations and the individual states didn't like that I can see why they didn't like that, and especially the South, because of their traditions, their peculiar institutions, and they didn't like it, and so they kind of... Yeah, they back. dug their heels in with you a lot. 
Pretty much so. And even before me, for yeah. 50 years, we were dealing with the issue of what we would say eventually slavery. Mm. But I could not say that right off the bat when I was mm. the war. You also, uh, because of you, we have Thanksgiving. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> so when you get nauseous from all that turkey, <laughs> turkey you eat, you can thank me and thank me for it. Yeah. Yes. Um, what else? You had uh, you had a patent for yes. pontoon lifting uh, device? A, a flotation system because one of the times we were traveling down south, we got stuck on a, a wooden, I guess not a barge, but a wooden dam because there was a mill there and they needed the water so that it can raise it up and run mm -hmm. it through the mill for power. Mm -hmm. Well, the flat boat being 70 feet long got stuck halfway on that. Well, we were half of us was sinking, half of us wasn't. So I figured, well, how can we deal with this later? So in my mind, I came up with the idea of being able to float it up so we could go up over the dam and not, so yeah, that was definitely. Um, Are you the only United States president who has a patent? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool, yes. It's probably out now. I should probably re-up that now. Yeah, you so, gotta get on that. Yes, definitely. Now I had, even though I never made it past Council's Bluffs, Iowa, I have a lot to do with California. I don't know if you know that. I did not know that. Now that you're here in California, if you visit Yosemite, you can thank me for that. Yeah, I signed into law the um, Mariposa Grove, which is up there. They've renamed that. And Yosemite National Park, which wasn't a national park at the time. I signed that in the law that they would be for the people of this country for oh. perpetuity, forever. So Roosevelt sort of took that and ran then. The, Pardon? Didn't Roosevelt sign a lot of, of our... Yellowstone. Yeah. Uh, now, see, I signed it over to California. Sure. California became a state in 1850. I signed it over to California, but they really weren't... Uh, equipped to handle all that land and everything because there were uh, miners there, there were uh, trappers, there were uh, lo the logging company was, you know, companies were there destroying Yosemite. So it was a little more for California, a little overwhelming. So mm -hmm. it wasn't the first, Yellowstone was the first national park, but eventually California turned it over to the National Park Service. Mm -hmm. But I had something to do with that. Yeah. Now that you're in California, if you visit one of our missions, you can thank me for that. How so? Yes, I had a, uh, gosh, I can't remember if it was a friar or a monk. He came during the middle of the war. He came and petitioned me to bring the missions back to the Catholic Church. Now, when Mexico was controlled by Spain, they started the mission system up the coast because they wanted to control all of the West Coast and also to convert them to Catholicism. Well, when Mexico won their independence from Spain, then the missions kind of petered out a little bit, or, or the funding and everything kind of left, and then when we became a state, it just totally dissolved, and there were cows and sheep and horses stabled in our missions, and uh, this uh, uh, monk or uh, uh, bishop or whatever he was, uh, a priest, he came to me and he said, well, this just ain't right, and I don't think he was Southern, but that's how he talked, this just ain't right, and so uh, I agreed with them. So we signed uh, seven or nine. Nine missions back to the Catholic Church. Now we paid for them. We compensated the owners of them, but they had gotten into private use and so we paid them back. And so that's why you can visit those missions now. Now how does that not get a little uh, in the dirtying of the waters of between a church political? and state? Yeah. Well, tough. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I felt it was the right thing to okay. do. Okay, yeah. And I did it. Yeah. So you, you, 
You did that a lot, though. You you looked at the whole picture, I feel like. and It is the whole picture, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I didn't talk to my lawyers first to decide if this is right, if, if I'll lose votes in Washington if I do this. No, but I felt it was the right thing to do. When you began your life, uh, was your father, you, you say he's Baptist? Well, we were... Uh, Way back, Quaker. Uh, I could see the Quaker. Way, way back, <laughs> you know. And uh, as the history pulled forward, but when I was around, we were Baptists, yes. Okay, but you yourself, you had written an essay or something against, not against Jesus, but saying that his divinity, you were questioning the divinity of Jesus or something to that effect. I was not a churchgoer. Yeah. Uh, I never was, though Mary and our, our children went to church. We had purchased a pew in Washington, uh, well, in uh, Springfield. So, but I didn't attend, I did attend church, but I did not sign my name on the rolls of the actual church itself for a few reasons. Mm-hmm. One was that growing up, I would see preachers out on a uh, stumping. They'd be up on top of a stump and they'd be moving their arms and everything. And I commented that it was like them swatting bees. You know, when they were pointing and they were saying, all of you are going to hell, damnation, fire and brimstone. Uh, I didn't care for that too much. And also later on as president, uh, like I said, I entertained people, uh, uh, citizens of this country of ours, north and south. So I had many ministers come to me on the north and the south arguing that God was on their side. And in my opinion, I don't believe God was on either side, not for what was going on here. So how do they justify that? You know, so I felt I always believe in God. If you read any of my speeches, I always reference the Bible or God, very much so. But like I said, I I didn't believe in any particular church. Now, in Washington, many times I would sneak back to the pastor's quiet room while he was preaching because then I wouldn't disturb the service. And I would crack the door open a little bit and I would listen to what the preacher had to say. Yeah, when I read that about you, I thought, well, that seems strange because so many of your speeches and even your allegories and the stories you told were were tinged with various either religious imagery or undertones and yes. um, the, the one passages, of the famous things yeah. you said a house divided cannot stand, stand. upon it yeah and yeah. that's from the book of Matthew there you go yeah yes. and you you really had a way with words yes. I must say um, what uh, not, you know no flowery words just. But to the point. You got and, to the point, and right. and but it's powerful. When I was doing um, some research for this conversation, I mean, I w- I cried through half of it. I really did. It's yeah. just it's hard. See, I get emotional now. Sorry, but it's hard to think about all the things that you've done. I agree. I agree, and you can see why I wore my emotions on my sleeve, and then and it tore me apart at the end. Like I said, I, I don't know how long I would have survived if I didn't get go to the theater that night because it was so devastating. You, you had a premonition of your death. A few times, yes. Yeah. But These... people tried to kill you constantly, from what I understand. Sorry, I get very emotional about this stuff. Um, when but... I was elected in November of uh, 1860, still in Springfield, we started, we, meaning my wife and I, started receiving letters of death threats there was a bounty on my head for $30,000 down in Florida. money back then. Definitely. Yeah. And on the train going to Washington on the side of the tracks, you know, the country would be trees and everything. There were effigies of me hanging there. Threats that if I will never make it to Washington, that's why I snuck in the night before. Mm. 
is because Pinkerton and Marshall Ward Hill Lamon had heard rumors, substantiated rumors, that uh, going through Baltimore, see, talking about transportation, all rails up north went into Baltimore and then left Baltimore. Mm. So everything, our troops and everything from up north had to go through Baltimore. And I had to travel through Baltimore. And Baltimore, Maryland, it was split. There was definitely northern uh, sympathizers and southern sympathizers. So there was a lot of fighting going on there. And so one of our first group of units coming south were actually fired upon and rocks and everything were thrown at them when they went through Baltimore. So we knew it was kind of a hotbed. And so they had heard rumors that there was going to be a plot. if Because everybody knew my route. They knew the times I was going to be because, sure. they, you know, because everybody wanted to cheer and everything else. Yeah, and you rode around and opened things and it was, yeah. I always <laughs> felt that if I were to live in fear, I would never get anything done. Mm. And if someone was going to assassinate me, it's going to happen no matter what. And a few times it was uh, kind of kiboshed or whatever by John Wilkes Booth himself, though I may bring his name up. Uh <laughs> When we marry in Washington, Mary and I would go visit the. There was twenty some hospitals in Washington for the diseased and the and the wounded, north and south. Remember, right across the Potomac was Virginia. From the second story of the White House, we could see enemy campfires across the Potomac, Virginia, and so many of the wounded would come across. And Mary and I would go visit the soldiers that were there, dying, mm-hmm. you know, sick. Wounded and dying, many of them dying. Yeah. And Mary had a compassion for them also. And she would uh, take uh, flowers, food, writing paper if they wanted to write a letter home to let them know that they're okay or that they're not going to make it. And I would do the same thing. And I would visit the Union soldiers and I would also visit the, the Confederate soldiers there too. So uh, I don't know where I was going with that. But uh, anyway, what was the question? You're talking about assassin. You said John Wilkes. Yes. Booth, um, uh, so that was in the papers what hospitals we were going to. Well, John Wilkes Booth didn't really want to assassinate me. He wanted to kidnap me during the war while the war was still going because we had many, like the South, we had many uh, surrendered Confederate soldiers in prisons up north. He wanted to k- kidnap me and offer me for ransom to let the soldiers go south and fight again because they were running out of men and supplies. So that was his uh, idea. So twice he tried to kidnap me when we were going to a particular hospital to visit. But at the last minute, we decided to go to a different hospital. So his plots never came to fruition. So after General Lee had surrendered Appomattox Courthouse Mm -hmm. uh, April 9th, he thought, well, kidnapping me wasn't going to do any good. So he thought, ah, I will avenge the South. Hmm. He thought he'd be famous, but I think he was more infamous than he was famous. Mm-hmm. Even many in the South hated him. You don't kidnap, you don't assassinate the President of the United States. Even if you don't agree with him, you don't assassinate him. So I think it was a double-edged sword for him. But that's I read why. somewhere that his brother actually saved your son's life. Is that a true story? Yes, it is. Robert Todd, our eldest son, was at a train station ready to board, and the crowd pushing forward to see if the train was coming. He had fallen off, fallen off or pert near, fell off the deck right to where the tracks were of the train coming. And Edwin, his brother, was there also. This was during the war, though they didn't really know each other. So he grabbed out and 
grabbed a hold of them and pulled them back at the last minute. It gives me the shivers. It, it really makes me think about how how woven we all are to each other. Yes. You know, that is yes. There's a relationship there, yes, definitely. It's extraordinary. In a small world, a big small world a at the same time. A big small world. Definitely, yes. I wish people yes, so realized that, how small it is. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. I know. That's another subject for another time. <laughs> of yes. all the speeches that you wrote, and you wrote your own speeches. Yes. Of all the speeches that you wrote, do you have a favorite? Yes? I did write my speeches, but uh, Stanton, I would uh, I would have them reviewed with either my secretaries, uh, Hay and uh, Nicolay and uh, uh, Stanton and a few others, just so that they could proofread them to mm -hmm. see if there was something that was a little too harsh or maybe add something. So I did have uh, somebody kind of critique him a little bit so that to make sure that it was just, because there again, I want uh, people's opinions. You mm -hmm. know, it still comes down to me and my final decision, but I wanted people's opinions on what they thought, you know, because they all have different input themselves, so. Do you have a favorite of your speeches? My second inaugural, I think, was because I was speaking to the world uh, I did not know necessarily that I was speaking to the world at Gettysburg. So I think my second inaugural mm -hmm. address, I, I really had a lot into it. My uh, Gettysburg address was interesting. It's powerful. I didn't think so at the time. I thought it fell like a wet towel or a wet blanket. And you know, that just... So, um, but I had very little time. I only had about less than two weeks to come up with it because I was an afterthought, but there again, I wasn't the main speaker in Gettysburg. Edward Everett was the main speaker and it was intended for him to be the main speaker. And later on they thought, oh, because it's a national cemetery, but it was a state run uh, uh, ceremony also, but it was a national cemetery at a state run ceremony. Wow. And so they thought, well, maybe we should invite the president of the United States to say a few words. Mm. Uh, so they sent me an, a letter and they were surprised that I actually answered them that I was going to actually be there. But I felt this was the right time to comment about this war we're in. I did not mention Gettysburg at all. I didn't mention per se what happened there. Edward Everett spoke for two hours. He f pretty much covered everything. But my speech was to the people of this country, you know, and to the 15,000 that were there attending it. Yes, and uh, now, of course, I, I, I think that that was one of my better speeches. And when I speak it, I speak it probably hundreds of times a year. I still feel it when I speak it because I believe that those words had a meaning then and I believe they have a meaning now. Would you say it? Would you speak it? What, the Gettysburg Address? Yeah. Right this minute? Sure. Uh, I possibly could. I have a... When, when, when are you ready for it? Anytime or Anytime. what? Anytime. I have a intro to it. Oh, okay. Because I believe that people need to know more about it than just what they, they heard read. the word. Yeah. And even young people, uh, I ask them, well, where was the Gettysburg dress given? And they go, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. They don't know. That's like saying, where, where's Lincoln buried? <laughs> where's, who's buried at Grant's too? <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so they don't know. And I think, well, what was given in Gettysburg? Oh, Gettysburg. Oh, where's Gettysburg? It's in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania's up north, above the Mason-Dixon land, above all the battles. And that's even another subject on itself, that Lee went north, because most of the battles were in the south. Why? Because we were bringing the south back to the Union. And Lee had tried 
uh, charging up north. And so I talk about Lee coming north and him uh, because his troops were running out of food and material. And basically they were also running out of shoes. His men were only as good as their feet. And he knew that they would march 20, 30 miles a day from battlefield to battlefield. And uh, they were only as good as their feet. And so uh, they would either wrap them in whatever they could find, leather, corn husks, or boots from dead soldiers. Harrisburg in Pennsylvania was the biggest shoe factory for the North. And other than also it was the capital of Pennsylvania. So he was heading up North because it was untouched. Uh, everything up North, the, the crops were ripe in the field, the orchards were full, there was plenty of livestock. So he wanted something, uh, he tried something new and different to him. He didn't like the idea, but he, he did it. And so heading to Harrisburg, well, there was a small college town in his way. If you've been to Pennsylvania or maybe even like down south, there's, everything's green, everything's trees, except for the tr- roads. Well, all there's like seven roads led into Gettysburg, seven roads led out of Gettysburg. So it was only natural that him and his 160,000 men would travel into Gettysburg. Well, we were in control of Gettysburg at the time. And in the college steeple, they noticed they saw all this dust and everything else coming up and say, hey, something's going on here. We finally found out where Lee is because he disappeared for a while. We contacted General Meade. My commanding general, he had only been commanding general uh, of the Army of Northern Virginia for only days. And so, hey, things are happening. So he started, because he was in the area, so he started heading to Gettysburg itself. This battle in Gettysburg wasn't planned. It wasn't supposed to happen there. But both met General Lee with his men that were starving. They couldn't move on. They had to stop and fight there. So three hot days in July, they battled, they fought. On the fourth day, General Lee had had enough, and he decided to to retreat. So he traveled back across the And they lost a lot. There were a lot of men lost. Oh, very much so, yes. So... After these, after him retreating, and they decided that uh, General or Governor, the citizens of Gettysburg, only about 2,500 of them were overwhelmed. 53,000 casualties, uh, outright maybe 4,000 killed outright, and then there were many, many, many thousands more killed, uh, died later on. Uh, over 3,000 horses were killed during this war, this battle. And in the hot summer, they were overwhelmed. They called for the governor of, of Pennsylvania, Curtin, to come down and look for himself. Unbelievable. It, I can't even imagine. That's July what he 4th. said. Yeah. He said, this must be remembered for generations to come what happened here. So they decided to have a ceremony three months later. So here we are. On this ground in early July of this year, 1863, history was made. Men gave their lives for what they believed. With raised arms, cheers are lifted up, along with prayers. You see, both sides read the same Bible, pray to the same God, but the prayers of both cannot be answered. And for now, the cannons are silent, the muskets have all been stacked aside. There's a solemn presence blanketing these few acres here like an early morning fog. The earth beneath our feet is quietly shouting. Here lies a soldier, a comrade, a hero. Here lies a father, a brother, a son, 
We are assembled here today to honor those who fought and died on these surrounding battlefields. I have been asked as chief executive of the nation to formally set apart these grounds to their sacred use by a few appropriate remarks. Can this be accomplished? Standing here before you, many thoughts travel through my mind. and Gazing out over the rolling hills, the gentle valleys, the grasses blowing in the breeze, I can see the markers, the mounds of earth, the wooden boxes. Can there be an explanation for such a scene? Can there be comfort for all the sorrow? Can there be an answer to the many questions? What do you tell a mother to ease the pain of her son not coming home? What words do you use for a wife whose husband won't be returning to her? How do you explain to a young child that her father won't be there to see her grow? How do you relate that it was for the right reason, that it was for freedom, that it was to preserve the union? What words do you utter? What letters do you write? What address do you speak? Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We're met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here, dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead, we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion. Let we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. And that government of the people by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Amen. Amen. Oof. I uh, mean, come on. <laughs> I take that very seriously. I, I joke a lot because I believe Mr. Lincoln joked a lot. Like he said, otherwise he would weep. But I do take it very seriously what... What happened during that time, the results of it, and just, oh, mind-boggling. So, yeah. yeah. Do you think um, a President Lincoln would be elected today? He would probably get shot again. <laughs> Could we have an honest person in Washington, anywhere in Washington? <laughs> Hard to say, uh, on either side. I don't know. I, I would hope so. If he could get, honestly, if he could get anything done in Washington, an honest person to get anything done, so much blowback, so much 
fighting going on. I don't know. It would be nice to say you could rally both parties or both large parties and Congress and Senate just rally around the, the country again. It would be nice. If that's going to happen, I don't know. I, 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 the question is brought up to me, but like I said, I usually just say, well, I'd probably get shot again. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. We've come so far, good and bad. Ah, wow. Two steps forward, three steps back, one step forward, two <laughs> steps back. It is. Ah, yeah. It's, it, it's, it's, it's scary. I, I think it, it's scary time. But I think if, if we were to lose our history, the end is near. We need yeah. to remember our history, not erase it from our history books, not try to change it, remember it, the whole world. Because if it's very true what they say is if, if you forget your history, you're going to relive it again. And we're going to go through those mistakes again mm -hmm. because we don't, we're not aware of where those led. You know, they, yeah. they led there, not because of necessarily the ideals, but because people were involved with it. Yes, yeah, human beings. Yeah, if we, could, if we could eliminate that, we'd yeah. do okay. But now and again in history, we have seen the face of people who are, you said something um, along the way that really caught me. Um, I wrote it down in my book. It's, it was something to the effect of, I'm going to paraphrase. Basically, you said, when you believe in something, it's worth it's worth dying for. It's worth, and at the time, I think somebody was in your cabinet was saying it's political suicide. And you said, and your response was, basically, I don't give a crap. This is important. And right. if I, right. I, you know, live and die by your principle, and you were truly that. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yes. And if I were to be reelected many times, they said, don't say that. You're not going to get reelected. Well, it was the truth. It needed to be said. It needed to be done. I would do it anyway. Yeah. Definitely. And at the end, I even made a comment. I'm going to paraphrase myself. <laughs> is that in the very end, after doing, I believe, was the right thing for our administration to the best of my ability, if I was to lose every friend in the world, I would at least have one friend left, and that one friend would be deep inside of me. Mm. In other words, if everybody turns against me, I still believe that what I did was for the good of the country. And if it comes down to just me agreeing with that, well, that's so be it. I'm going to push that further and say that I think that somewhere in you, you knew whether you were aware of it or not, that it was good for all humankind. And that's, it's rare. I, I, I believe it is. It is rare to think that big and to put yourself that low. Hmm. Think about that. I mean, I think maybe some of that had to do with, uh, like you were talking about earlier, about my depression or my uh, melancholy or whatever, it, that I didn't think too highly of myself. Um, and so then I would think of others more than myself. And I think that's what our country needed, and I think that's what our country needs now. Yeah. Definitely that. that yeah, like you said, think globally or think of mankind, not just your own. Yeah. Because these generations are going to go on way past us. So our, you know, whatever we think, we whatever hope. we want, it's going to be dust in the wind. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, there was uh, your law part person in your law office, your law partner. Law partner? Uh, William. Uh, William Her Herndon. 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 Yes. And uh, so when you think of Abraham Lincoln, there is this larger-than-life mythology around you. And what I, I found in the research of you was the human of you 
was delightful and that you, you know, you had, you had moments where you're like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do this anyway. You fought with your wife. It wasn't always perfect. You know, you, you know what I mean? Like you had a human side and I wish that more of that was talked about. Firstly, I got to say when I was in school in seventh grade, I, you know, a lot of these history teachers, they sit down and say, this happened, this happened, this happened, next page. This happened, this, not why this happened, not the man or the woman behind, like Harriet Tubman, you know, like an extraordinary human being and and the Underground Railroad. It's like why all these people did what they did and why you, it's like talking about your childhood and talking about what formed and shaped you. I think that kids, firstly, it wouldn't go in one ear and out the other. When, right. Because that's part of empathy. To understand why things happen, you have to understand the person. I agree. Doing I wish it. they had time to do all that. I know. Or take the time. Some of the schools do. Believe it yeah. or not, nowadays they do. Are we bouncing into the future? Oh boy. Or are we still in the past? Uh, well, we're, we're all over, <laughs> the, we're place. All over yeah, the place. Yeah. But I just said the book. So yes. William Herndon's book, yes. Yeah, it was, um, uh, he put out a book where he went around and interviewed your friends, your mm-hmm. colleagues and all this stuff. And it was, it was fascinating to, to learn some of that stuff. So listeners, I'm going to put a link to that on my Hey Human podcast oh, page. Wonderful. because there are It's something to read for sure. That's one point of view. He didn't care too much for my wife, Mary Lincoln. To us. A lot Ooh, of people kind of uh, had some stuff about her. Yeah, And well, Douglas, your... your uh, Frederick Douglas or Stephen no, Douglas? No, Stephen Douglas, who There's ran against you. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Frederick Douglas. Very cool. Stephen yes. Douglas, who ran against you. He and Mary Todd also kind of had the flirty-flirty. So they you, did, which yes. Which is that thing they about you They entertained each other's company way, yeah. way, way, way back. Yeah. Very weird... up in the up, though. It was very appropriate. Of course. It wasn't like going out on a date and no. seeing a movie. But it's yes, just it like, um, just like your uh, your assassination. There's these weird, common things that happened Threads. around you. Yeah. That was fascinating to now, me. Now talking about my, after my death, it was very popular death. Uh, <laughs> reporters from all over the world came here and interviewed anybody and everybody. And if you think about it, with someone as big as the President of the United States, and they came and interviewed you, everybody was his buddy. Oh, yeah, we would go out and we did everything together. So a lot of people embellished, (laughs) over-exaggerated everything because they wanted to be in somebody's book. Yeah. So there's a lot. you got to take it all and read it It all. It was the Facebook of of its day, right? Yes. So there was definitely a lot of stuff. And most scholars, if they see it written in two or three different areas or different books or different sure. uh, uh, interviews, then they would take it maybe as fact. But if it was only like from one person or something like that, they would think, well, maybe this didn't actually happen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I had uh, my my uh, circle of friends exploded after I died because yeah. everybody knew me. It's like, oh yeah, I didn't know that. Okay. If if you had lived yes. and continued on with your presidency, what, what, what more would have happened, do you think? Where, where were you headed? Uh, well, I would have, after my second term, I would have retired as a lawyer again. I definitely wanted to do that. Uh, I think four years of a second presidency, second term, would have, I think, healed the South a lot better. 
we did not want, I personally did not want to prosecute any of the generals, any of the officers, any of the higher ups. Uh, many times I said it would be nice if they just disappeared. So we didn't even have to deal with it like uh, Jefferson Davis or of uh, the South president or Alexander Stevens as vice president. And you pardoned a lot of deserters too. You saw, in fact, that they were kids and they were terrified. And, and the if you deserted, you were hung or shot and you pardoned several on on the union side, yes, yeah. yeah. So both both sides definitely. Yeah. Uh, what the instructions to General Grant was to let the South up easy when he when they signed the papers with General Lee surrendering. Mm -hmm. The soldiers were let go and they could take their horse with them and their firearms because they would need that on the farm again. Imagine that the enemy let them have their firearm because we are all fellow countrymen. And when General Lee went back to his troops that that after signing the uh, surrender papers, the uh, Union officers told the Union soldiers not to cheer, not to show them respect when they walked off, not to say, yippee, they surrendered. Show them respect. And General Grant did not take General Lee's sword. It, traditionally, when you surrender, you surrender your sword. He said he would not take his sword from him, no. Hmm. So it was to show respect right from the beginning. And let the South up easy. Let them have their farm. Let them. Uh, the only thing restrictions we made was any political officer or any political positions could not be taken over by uh, the Southern cabinet. Or, in other words, let's not start this again. So, in other words, just a common man could be uh, governors and politicians and everything else. In other words, not let necessarily let the leaders. They could be after signing papers. They could be uh, citizens of the United States again. That was required of any soldier, any any, uh, any secessionist. secessionist. Yeah, yes, definitely. Sure. But as far as their uppity ups, their officers and all that, they could not necessarily hold a political office mm. again. That was basically the only restriction, only because we didn't want the South to get any ideas that they could start it again. Yeah. And I think things would have been a lot different. We wouldn't have had, to some degree, we would have had the military, which is what they did. They took over the South, military rule in the Southern states. But we pretty much had to do that because the slaves were going to be discriminated against, and which really what happened is many of them starved to death because those that didn't stay on the farm, many of them stayed on the farms and the plantations because that's the only life they knew for hundreds of years. But those that left, that they wouldn't be persecuted or they wouldn't be starved, starved to death, though many of them did after that because everything changed for them. How do you change your whole everything in an instant? Hmm. Uh, this wasn't how we wanted it to end. We wanted slavery to slowly die out which was the whole idea. Yeah. But the South decided that they wanted to secede as president. I couldn't allow that to happen, so it just happened real fast. So yeah. that was a sad thing. President Lincoln, yes. thank you so much for your time. I'd, I'd love to speak with Robert. Oh, I think he might be around. He might be outside <laughs> playing ping pong or something. <laughs> well, let's uh, sign off with you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your extraordinary humanity. Well, thank you for the interview. I'm honored to be here. All right, let's get Robert. <laughs> okay, take the hat off. Uh, I do know it. I do have it memorized, but I am terrible with memorization, so usually I try to read it beforehand. Oh, And I didn't fine. want to flub it up. That's why I read it. I thought I, it was great. I do pull it out of my hat. I love kids that. Love, the kids love it. Yeah. Technically, he pulled it out of his waistcoat, his vest, and it was in two papers like I have it. I mean, because the reporters wrote everything down. They wrote how he walked, how he talked, how yeah. he looked. He had an everything. interesting gait. Well, from big clodhopper. He's very tall, obviously, yes. and, and very thin, and but very strong. Fum, fum, fum. Yes, yeah. but kind of 
uh, Clotting along? Yeah. Definitely, yes, yes. Yeah, his feet. Awkward with the ladies, awkward with the... <laughs> oh, yes, I stepped on Mary's feet when we were dancing and kicked her in the shins and everything else. Yeah. Yes, definitely, so, okay. yes, definitely. So, Robert. Yes, oh, okay, Welcome. we're going to start now, Robert? Yes. Okay, let me relax. <sighs> yeah, what the heck do you want? <laughs> what in the world? I mean, other than, obviously, you're tall and you currently have a beard. I know you didn't start that way. What brought you to become Abraham Lincoln. Isn't that crazy? So I well. had no idea. I am not a historian. Growing up, I was tall and lanky, but I never really realized anything at all until one friend of mine, now and then he would look at me and he'd joke and he'd say, four score and seven years ago, and we'd get a laugh, and that was it. Uh, I did not grow my beard until I was in my 50s, like Mr. Lincoln. Uh, I was very conservative, uh, middle class, I guess you could say I grew up. Um, I married my wife when I was 22 years old. We've been married for 43 years. You're high school sweethearts. Yeah. Pertinier, yes. And I was busy raising four children. I um, uh, worked for a city for a while. I was in construction. I worked for Home Depot for 20 years. Oh. I've been a drywall contractor for so many years. And so... Something kind of came up to where they were looking for an Abraham Lincoln, and it was like a, a small production. I thought, well, let me give it a go. That I never took drama or theater or anything in school, um, so I, I went down and uh, they looked at me and they saw my long, thin horse face and they said, "I think you'll work." So I said, "Well, tell you what, uh, it's not going to start for a month. Let me grow the whiskers and let's see what in heck happens." So I grew the beard. I looked in the mirror and I said, "Holy moly!" This is my destiny. Uh, I, if I, I said to my wife and everybody, I said, if I don't do this as far as present Lincoln, I'm going to kick myself mm -hmm. 10 years down the road. But still, what do you do with it? You know, this one production happened and that was about it. So then we were just talking about this and that. My wife just happened to have been a librarian for an elementary school. And she kept bugging me. She said, well, why don't you come to my class? And of course, like a strong man i would no not till i'm ready and of course it's going to take me 10 years to get ready so you know until i'm ready to do it and she signed me up the date was set everybody knew about it and she says okay on this date and i went oh i'm not ready yet so i okay i'll just do it and see what the heck happens so i went to all the classes dressed up like mr lincoln i talked to all the kids and that pretty much is what started it yes wonderful yes and how long have you been doing it now not very long, about 11 years now, probably, okay. which isn't very long. Uh, we belong to uh, an organization called the Association of Lincoln Presenters. Uh, have you got one of my cards? And um, we're all across the United States. Huh. So I have someone to fall back on. And yeah. I had a mentor, like Mr. Lincoln had a mentor to educate him. I had a mentor that I had seen a couple times, and him and I talked, and they were always looking for new, new Lincolns. And he was the one that, uh, William Peck was his name, and he was the one I would call and say, Bill, what do I do now? They want me to do this. So he would walk me through sure. what, they, what they wanted to be done. And uh, so he helped me out a lot and uh, educated me because uh, you kind of have to learn on the spot. There's a lot of historians out there like yourself. And so you got to know a lot. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't call myself a historian, but oh. very, I'm very curious and I like to learn things. So. Yes, and you've this, learned a lot about Mr. Lincoln. Yeah, well, he's a delight. And it's, it, I, I wish he was here today. Oh, gosh. 
And I would it, have interesting, yeah, myself. It would be, yeah. like you said, the personal, more of the personal side of him. And I would have liked to seen him grow old and write a book and do, you know, there's just things about him that yeah. I think would have... He, it's funny because I said, you know, he had that martyr, there's that martyr energy around him, of course, yeah. because in many ways, yes, in this mythology around him, yes. But I think that we, the people, would have benefited from learning more about Lincoln, the man, you know. His memoirs, his, his autobiography. Yes. I, I agree. Yeah. I, yeah, he could have, uh, yeah, oh, I, I concur. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say something that went right out of my. Did you my learn head. along the way then, or did I you come to, to it going, "Oh, Lincoln was always kind of cool," or did you go, "Oh, wait a minute, I look like him now. I've got to learn everything." <laughs> yes, you do. I had to. Uh, I've got now. I've got over three hundred books. Oh. I like books. Like he liked books. Yeah. I like books because I can underline things. I can sure. go back to it, and I can, you know, I can read it, read it out loud, and it, hopefully it sticks in. Yes, I, I was not a historian, and I had to learn because there's a lot of historians out there, and you get a lot of interesting questions and stuff like that. And I wanted to. I didn't want to be stupid. You know, I didn't want to be ignorant, ignorant on Mr. Stupid. Lincoln. Yeah. yeah, I didn't want to be ignorant on Lincoln. Yeah. So, uh, and I had the desire to. Yeah. And it's fascinating, and there's so many offshoots of anything you can think of had to do with the Civil War, had to do with slavery, had to do with the, that time era, Mr. Lincoln himself. Well, we could have talked for four hours. I would have, I have, insane. I mean, I have millions of questions, but, you Definitely. know, there's, there's only so much time, and I, your time is valuable, and I respect that, but I, it's, it's very hard to sit and talk to you as Lincoln and not see Lincoln and not embody that moment of feeling like, I'm there talking to mm. President Lincoln, which is a beautiful, wonderful thing. Uh, I have, people have commented about that. I just that's me, but that oh, you look like Lincoln. You, I, I what I said. I grew old and ugly and grew the beard. You know that. that you know I had nothing to do with it. Uh, yeah, but as Robert, I see I can see Lincoln askness, but you look like now you look like Robert to me. But when with the when you personify the president, you really are. From my perspective, at least, yeah. it felt very real. When I put that hat on, there's a responsibility I feel that goes along with wearing that hat. Yeah. Now I do joke. He jokes. Uh, I do that with the kids, you know, just to show, like you said, the human side of Mr. Lincoln. He's just not this staunch person with a booming voice and says all these facts and then leaves. <laughs> no, you know, I, I I give him a high five. I dab. I do all, you know. <laughs> I, you know, with he the, loved with children the, too. It seemed yes. he had a really a soft spot, not only for his own children but just children in general. Which in the neighborhood, everything. Yeah, else. which it's, seeing these young boys dying in droves and must uh, have been that much more. Not only because of his own children and perhaps because of losing his own children, but just his soft spot for kids. He had to sign the orders to have a deserter executed, and so he found every way possible to uh, reprieve him from that. And the generals didn't like that, but he still would do that. As many, if, if there was any chance at all that there was something wrong, or how could he help it if his legs wanted to go one way when he wanted to go the other way? And then what good is a dead soldier? That's yes, right. Yes, definitely. Yeah. But we left him back five minutes ago. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, I get it. I know. Yeah. But no, I just, that's fine. It's, it's easy to go back and go, oh, man, okay. you know. Well, he's part of me now. He's yeah. part of my life now, and I... Don't regret it one bit. I have a weird question. Yes. Do you dream ever as Abraham Lincoln? Oh, interesting. Wow. I don't think I do. No. Interesting. 
and I don't have any premonitions of my death. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. we started talking about it, and then we got sidetracked. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. That happens a lot in conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you see yourself pretty much doing this until, you know, that's... Until I can't anymore. Yeah. Definitely. The gentleman, uh, William Peck, was in his 80s. He was 83, and yeah. he... There again, you could do it on your dog. You put a top hat, a beard, and a, he looks like Mr. Lincoln. So even, what's is neat is an elementary school student can get up on stage, put a beard, a top hat, and a frock coat. Everybody knows who he is. Yeah. And I like that. I like that that he, that he stands for that. So, uh, you know, I'll do it. If I quit looking like Lincoln, I will still want to present him just because of what he stands for, what he stood for. Yeah. Um, I If you could i would love to get maybe a short reading list from you for that i can offer up to my listeners so Gosh. if you you I said you have a large library so if there's a that. yeah if you email me yes. a couple of um books that people oh, sure might that i oh that i go back to yeah now and then definitely that'd yes. be great yeah and you have to read more than one or two yes to get the perspective and also to get what was true and what wasn't one book in the same book in two places it talks about mary my wife's eyes one says they were blue and one says they were brown interesting in the same book and you go wait a second what's going on so it, it is you do need to get the i think the that it's true with all things in life there you go that somebody says something to you or you read something somewhere Right. Now go get more information. Yes. Don't settle Definitely. on the one source. Don't be lazy yeah. and settle on one. I yeah. agree with you. Yes. Or, you know, just be curious. Be curious yeah. enough to keep it, to push it further. So mm. uh, you're an actor as well as Abraham Lincoln. You do other acting. Uh, I do, yes. And that's kind of how I started with the Lincoln thing. Because uh, growing up, you know, raising four kids is a lot of work and takes up a lot of your time. I was a drywall contractor for 30, well, now about 40 years, and <clears throat> uh, worked for Home Depot for 20 years. Well, you want to do something fun once in a while. So I saw an ad in a newspaper that said, do you want to be in the movies? And you're not supposed to answer those ads. Well, I did. All the people that were around me when I was looking, I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go get a real job. And I said, I'm going to sign up for this and let's see what happens. So I did. I answered the ad, and I, of course, I went on a few auditions. I did some background work and all that, and I realized I enjoyed that. The time to where I'm not have to think of other things and all this and that, and just focus on, on that. And it was fascinating, of course, like it is. So, yeah, so it kind of started out small, and then that's pretty much is taken over everything else, you know. So you're, you act full-time then? Yes. Oh, my gosh, yes. that's so crazy. Okay, yeah. what are some things that... that well, let's see. Well, what started off, I was in Pirates of the Caribbean as one of the pirates. Um, that was that was a lot of fun. Oh, my gosh. And a few other things. Uh, uh, Pee Wee Herman's uh, second film, uh, Big Holiday. I was Abraham Lincoln in that. Uh, I've done commercials and uh, some kids' shows for Disney and uh, Nickelodeon. Mm -hmm. And then currently now, uh, it's... I play the bad guy now and then. Now it's kind of opposite alter ego of Mr. Lincoln. That's but fun. I, and it's fun to play the bad guy. So uh, things that are out now and and uh, uh, things that are still in production is a a, a thing we're doing uh, called Trip to the Moon. That's uh, in production. That is in production. Okay. It's been going on for a few years now. We just film a little bit and we take a rest and then we film a little bit more. And that's uh, the. Uh, director and the writer and all that is Brian Finn 
uh, for Trip to the Moon. And then uh, L.A. Macabre, that's kind of a cable thing uh, mm -hmm. that's real popular. And it's into its probably third season now, but I was in the second season, and that's by Dan Ast. Is that a scary show? Macabre makes well, me think it's... Well, yes. It's, uh, it's got a drama and a, you could say a scary. It's not like scary monsters or anything like that, but it's got a lot of drama in yeah, it. Yes, okay. very much like so. Like an Outer limits -y type of situation? Well, more down to earth. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah. but it's got its, its, dense, its suspense moments and everything else. And then High Desert Hell. Oh. <laughs> uh, yes, that that's another one where I'm kind of the bad guy. Uh, and that's been out? Or Francis that's... Galupi, yes. Uh, well, it's one of those that you do and then you take it around to festivals okay, and you try to sure. promote it and everything else yeah. like that. Yeah. And then a few music videos here and there. And I was very fortunate and honored to have to work with or get the ability to work with David Lynch. Mm. He did Twin Peaks, and I was a fan of Twin Peaks years and years ago when it was on TV, the first and second season. And then uh, in the show itself, they said, well, we will see you in 25 years. Well, guess what? And 25 years later, he decided to do season three. So that came out on Showtime a couple years ago, and it's still definitely very popular now. And so I was in that. So you will have to... Who are you in that? Uh, Do you get to I am say? a woodsman. You're a woodsman, okay. You could say I, uh, I was called the dark figure, though you won't find that. But if you just Google God of Light... Uh, God I, or got? Gotta. Gotta light. G-O-T-T-A, gotta, gotta light. light. Okay. Then, yes, then that character will come up. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, so that, that was very fun. That was very enjoyable, and I'm honored to be in that. Wow. Associated with David Lynch. That's fun. Well, so. I found you because I, uh, I woke up not too long, just a few days ago, and I thought, man, I wish I could talk to Abraham Lincoln. And then I thought... Oh, I can't you. So I Googled <laughs> Abraham Lincoln is alive and found you. Oh, and wow. So wow, what a coincidence. Yeah. So fate has brought us together. I think so. And Google. <laughs> and Google. There you go. <laughs> and Google. There you go. Wonderful. Yes. Um, how might people find you in order to have you come to their school or their, you know, what, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Well, my website, abrahamlincolnlives.com. Uh, that's a good way to do it. Uh, I guess I could even say Robert Broski at hotmail.com. Hotmail, old school. The, I like it. Just that's more. And that's B R O S K I. Oh, good point. Yes. Yeah. Broski. Whoa. <laughs> yes. So, uh, that, and that's my personal one because yeah. I am the president of the people. Yes. So, yeah, they can get a hold of me in those respects. Wonderful. And, uh, and I would be honored. I do, I've done preschool to college. Civic events. Have you ever uh, married anyone? Have you ever done weddings? Do you marry people? I. That'd be so cool. I have married two Confederates. No way. Yes, I have. That's yes. incredible. So I'm a minister. I can do weddings. That's wonderful. Yes. So that that was that I was that was honored. They even asked me. A couple of Johnny Rebs asked <laughs> me to uh, marry. Uh, he was he was a uh, just a soldier. And then she was, I guess, just a, a Southern Belle. Yeah. So, yes, it was, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful way we did it, one of the Civil War reenactments. Oh. oh everyone's got to come out to a Civil War reenactment oh. for sure. And whatever it is called Google, you can Google Civil War reenactments in Southern California. Even though the battles really never came out this far, there was definitely skirmishes because people were on both sides of the, of the line. Uh, there were none out here, but we have about 10... Ten of them that ever all year that go oh, okay. 
You're in California, Southern California. I've never been to a Civil War reunion. You shall I have to. I'm, I, I'm inviting you right wonderful. now. Wonderful. Thank you. And I myself I'm go honored. from Yuma to Duncan's Mills up north yeah. along the Russian River. We've gone out to Las Vegas. And then, I, of course, I've flown all across to New York to do things. So I've been here and there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Robert, thank you so very much. This has been extraordinary, honestly. I have enjoyed it myself. I thank really you. appreciate all of that you all that you do and that you continue to do. I think it's so important. So thank you. Well, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Keep praying for me that I do for a couple. Absolutely. Couple more years. I in, indeed, indeed. Thank you. Bye, You're everybody. Bye, bye. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please rate and review Hey Human on iTunes. Have a safe and wonderful Fourth of July. Take care of each other. Be kind. Bye.